You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. We begin with breaking news again and a tragedy for a local flight school. Three people were killed after a plane went down not far from the Chilliwack Airport. And for more, let's bring in Paul Johnson, who's at the scene. Paul, what happened exactly, and do we know uh, about those who were killed? No, Chris, we still don't have any details about the identities of those killed in this crash. Presumably that's going to come from the Mounties after they've contacted next of kin. But let me show you a bit of the scene here. Now, I'm on Olds Drive, right across from the Elements Casino in Chilliwack. Take a look behind me here, about 50 meters across this field and through those trees there. That's the tail section of that airplane, and you can see the fuselage there. That's where it came to rest after it crashed into that blackberry thicket right next to the Chilliwack Motor Inn. Now, this happened about 2 o'clock today as the plane was either trying to land or take off from Chilliwack Airport. That's about a half kilometer from here. Now, there are witness accounts that the plane appeared to be flying too low, but we don't know yet the cause of the crash. That's going to be determined by investigators from the Transportation Safety Board. We expect they're going to get here tomorrow. No one on the ground was hurt, but the plane did crash right next to that motel. Here's what one of the occupants in that motel experienced. I ran down, I phoned 911, I went, I got a ladder, there was a guy here, there was people coming from everywhere while I was talking to 911. And I was screaming, is there anybody in there? I asked the people, I said, have you seen any movement? I grabbed the ladder, it's only a 12-foot ladder, and I mean, these blackberries are nasty, man. Transportation Safety Board of Canada is en route to the scene. We will be maintaining the scene until they arrive. And again, it w honestly, a, a tragic event. Uh, three people lost their lives today and our condolences to all those involved. So this plane was a two-engine Piper Seneca airplane, and it's owned by Langley-based SkyQuest Aviation. They're a flight school there. We tried to reach out to them today. They didn't have a comment in time for this story. Chris? Difficult days ahead for them and for the families, no doubt. Indeed. Thanks very much, Paul. Well, a local businessman whose estranged wife was killed last year is now facing sanctions by the United States government. Bobby Shaw, also known as Baman Jabelabak of Port Coquitlam, is named in documents from the U.S. Treasury Office. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, despite being barred from ever doing business in the U.S., Shaw says he's done nothing wrong. So I'm just going to bang on here. It goes at Valerian Labs and Valerian Labs distribution in Port Coquitlam. There was no obvious activity and no one answered the door. The companies and owner Bobby Shaw are facing tough sanctions from the U.S. government amid allegations of buying and distributing chemicals and equipment used to produce fentanyl and other illicit drugs. The civil actions and criminal indictments by the Biden administration are aimed at companies making deadly narcotics. We know that this global fentanyl supply chain, which ends with the deaths of Americans, often starts with chemical companies in China. The sanctions effectively cut off Shaw and his companies from the entire U.S. financial system. Clients cannot buy anything from him, and he can't do business with any American vendors. We reached Shaw by phone. I have for my facility a natural health 
product site license for for production of natural health products. The U.S. alleges Valerian Labs received shipments of methylamine hydrochloride, a precursor chemical used to produce methamphetamine and MDMA. Methylamine is legal in Canada. Methylamine is one of 220 different chemicals I house. Hey guys, welcome to my beautiful family home. I'm In 2018, Shaw's home was raided by the RCMP and targeted in a civil forfeiture lawsuit alleging he had committed fraud and his family was living off proceeds of crime. The suit claimed that when police raided Shaw's home and business, they found a cache of luxury items, multiple cell phones, blank checks and bank cards in other people's names, credit card machines and credit card printers. The suit also claimed Shaw and his wife had declared their total combined income was less than $51,000. Shaw challenged the police search warrant and it was successfully overturned. Let's make this magic happen together. Then in 2022, Shaw's estranged wife Romina was stabbed to death in a Coquitlam Parkade. Her murder remains unsolved. We know who is responsible for poisoning the American people with fentanyl. As for the newly announced sanctions, Shaw says he will appeal them and remains adamant that he has done nothing wrong. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Global's recent coverage of repeat violent offenders and what critics call the revolving door justice system is focusing new attention on a year-old government report. Kristen Robinson reports on what's been done since 28 recommendations were made. They didn't do anything to you. Curtis George McCallum smashed the windows of this TD bank twice and received 18 months probation. Is that the bank's fault? McCallum, a convicted killer from Edmonton, now accused of assault causing bodily harm in Richmond this past July and three counts of mischief in Hope, allegedly committed prior to the window smashing sprees. The citizen who shot this video, not surprised. So it hasn't gotten any worse, but I don't really see it getting any better. It's been one year since the province released 28 recommendations from its report on repeat offenders. BC's Attorney General says in response, the Safer Communities Action Plan was launched, which is acting on or implementing all of the recommendations. We've invested in Indigenous Justice Centres. We've established virtual bail uh, across the province. Uh, we have initiated a repeat violent offender uh, initiatives. Twelve hubs across the province right now are actively focused on um, dealing with the most violent offenders. We have 283 that are referred to that program right now. Citing violent repeat offender Mohammed Majidpour's recent release after allegedly breaching his probation on a sentence for a random racist attack on an Asian student, Port Coquitlam's mayor says on the ground, nothing has changed. It's just absolute madness, and I think the public is asking, what is it going to take to make it stop? Brad West says the current system is geared towards releasing people including violent repeat offenders. I don't think this criminal justice system is capable of reform. It needs to be rebuilt from scratch. And we need to start by prioritizing public safety and prioritizing victims. Everybody deserves to feel safe in their community and we're, we're taking the steps necessary and taking the actions necessary to get there. It's a complicated problem and we know we need federal support. And that's why I'm in Ottawa quite often advocating for that. There needs to be consequences and people need to understand if they misbehave, they will be punished for it. Kristen Robinson, Global News. 
More fallout today from the killing of B.C. Sikh leader Hardeep Singh Nijjar, whose murder the Canadian government has tied to agents of the Indian government. As Travis Prasad reports, a B.C. Sikh organization says more people have been warned about threats to their safety, too. When the president of the Guru Nanak Sikh Gurdwara was killed in June, it sent shockwaves throughout the Sikh community globally. Now there's a warning to other Sikhs here in B.C. On the social media platform X, an account representing the province's Sikh community posting a safety alert. It says in part, more Sikhs in British Columbia have received safety warnings and visits from local law enforcement and federal intelligence agencies regarding imminent threats to their lives. We call upon the BC and Canadian governments to stop Indian government attacks on Canadian citizens. The group declined our request for an interview, citing safety reasons. The alert comes weeks after the Prime Minister said there is credible evidence tying Indian agents to the killing of 45-year-old Hardeep Singh Nijjar, a Canadian citizen. Nijjar was a prominent voice in the Khalistan movement, the idea of a separate state for Sikhs in India where they are a religious minority. It's kind of a volatile time right now. Uh, a lot of people getting uh, named or getting threats. Some of them aren't even involved with activism, so it's getting kind of um, uh, kind of messy out there. And we're hoping that with the support of the government and with the support of law enforcement that uh, we can get the support to uh, get through this and prevent any kind of violence in the future. We reached out to the RCMP and the Canadian Security Intelligence Service for more information, specifically who in BC's sick community might be at risk right now and whether all of this is connected to the Khalistan movement and Khalistan activism. We did not hear back in time for broadcast. Travis Prasad, Global News. Right as Thanksgiving weekend kicks off, grocery chain Sobeys is asking customers to return a specific kind of whole turkey sold at its stores. Anyone who bought a Sunrise Grade A fresh turkey between 5 and 8 kilograms in weight with a best before date of October 11th is asked to return it for a full refund. The recall applies to all Western Canadian stores owned by that company. And that includes Sobeys, Freshco, IGA, Safeway, and Thrifty Foods. A statement from Sobe says the product does not meet quality standards, but it doesn't offer any further information than that. And just as we all gather inside for Thanksgiving dinner, there's been a big jump in COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations in B.C. over the past two weeks. It's happening just as the fall vaccination campaign kicks off, too. And for more, we'll bring in our Keith Baldry from Victoria. Keith, what are these numbers telling us? Yeah, this is like going back into the past, Chris. For two and a half years, you and I, every night, we're talking about COVID cases, hospitalization cases, because the numbers were so high and, uh, again, very mysterious. Then COVID went away, but the expectation was COVID was never going to disappear. It was going to come back. And sure enough, uh, latest statistics from the Center for Disease Control show we are in the respiratory illness season, and it d does bear looking at the numbers now because they are quite high. So COVID, 422 in people in hospital. That's up 58% in just two weeks. 
weeks. 26 people in ICU. That's up 53% over the same time frame. 24 deaths as in the third week of September. That compares. That's up 15 from the same time period back in August. The number of new infections is actually quite high. 877 new cases. That's up 744 in just a matter of weeks. Now, again, big jumps, big numbers, the likes of which we haven't seen for quite some time. Health Minister Adrian Dick says this was predictable. This was expected. It is similar to the ways we saw in the last few years as we head into respiratory illness season. But he says important lessons have been learned from previous ways and previous hospitalizations and serious cases to ensure things don't get really bad. Here's the health minister. This respiratory illness season, both for COVID-19 and for influenza, for the flu and for RSV as well, is going to be a challenging season. We know this from what's happened in the southern hemisphere, and we know this because we've now gone through this in 2020 and 2021 and 2022, and we've learned from that experience. So again, the best thing to do and the best advice, Chris, is everyone there, get your COVID booster, get your COVID vaccine once you're notified. In terms of new invitations going out for the October 10th kickoff of the latest round of vaccinations with the new vaccine, uh, right now, as of 2.20 p.m. today, 383,976 people have received invitations. They're going out about 6,000 um, a month or uh, an hour. Uh, so that's basically 144,000 a day, 900,000 in six days. By this time next week, about 1.3 million people will have received invitations to go get their vaccine. And I can tell you from a personal point of view, I've got a lot of friends right now who are tested positive for COVID, and it's quite serious. They're at home and been home for a number of days. It's going to be a rough round this fall. There's going to be more hospitalizations. So, again, when you get your invitation, the best advice, go get your vaccination. You can go to your local pharmacy. It's much easier to get it now than it ever has been before. No doubt. Okay, thanks very much, Keith. Bit of an eye-opener there for sure. Appreciate it. Still reeling from the recent death of Constable Rick O'Brien, the new RCMP commissioner reflects on the dangers of the profession and what the force needs to do to increase recruitment and retention. That's coming up next on the News Hour. Someone is going to be very thankful if they win the latest U.S. Powerball jackpot, the ticket-buying frenzy, and the massive amount of money at stake coming up later on the news hour. Right now, though, an employee of the embattled social housing provider Atira is coming forward to say that despite the organization's claims to have cleaned up its act, not much has actually been done. Krista Dow has this story. My passion is dying. It has been a taxing two years for Jane. That's not her real name, and we've agreed to conceal her identity. Jane, a woman support worker currently on medical leave, is sharing her experience about what she says are unsafe conditions at Atira. I feel that when the issues are brought forward to management, there's a culture within the management to maybe bend truths or cover them up. Jane says she has worked at several Atira sites across Metro Vancouver, including in harm reduction. She says she injured herself while successfully saving the life of a client who was about to overdose. In another instance, she says she was exposed to toxic drug smoke for her entire eight-hour shift. 
I often felt very sick. I would be driving home, pulling over, throwing up on the side of the road. I want to feel safe at work and I want my coworkers to feel safe. Earlier this week, Atira provided a 100 day update on what it calls a reset of the organization and steps to changing the culture include a new code of conduct, improved health and safety for employees, plus a new whistleblower line. Would you call that line? No. I wouldn't be here today if I was willing to call it. Atira says the whistleblower line is with a third party and is anonymous. We asked for an interview with interim CEO Catherine Room, but was told she was unavailable. But she had this to say on Wednesday. Our employees are feeling, I think, that they are finally able to have a real voice about the, um, the working environment that they work in. In a statement, Atira says health and safety training, including first aid, naloxone and crisis intervention, is provided to all new staff and is ongoing as needed. I don't see the changes restoring trust within their employees. Confidence in a system, she says, is so broken it may take years to be built back. Krista Dow, Global News. The new commissioner of the RCMP is in Vancouver this week. Sadly, the visit included the memorial service for Constable Rick O'Brien. Commissioner Mike Duhame also took the time to sit down with Janet Brown to discuss the future of policing in this province and across the country. And there's a series of pictures that depicts uh, some of the history of the organization. He's been the RCMP commissioner for just over six months. His visit to B.C. had been planned for some time and happened to coincide with the funeral this week for Constable Rick O'Brien. The number one thing I apprehended taking this job is getting the calls in the middle of the night or during the day uh, informing me of a loss of a member. It's uh, especially when it's as senseless as what happened with, with Rick. Duhame says he is concerned with increasing violence towards all first responders. You look at everything that happened from the George Floyd event and it just came north and the disrespect for law enforcement, the, uh, the um, conspiracy theories that sometimes go out there because we do something. He's asked if the violence makes it difficult when it comes to recruiting. Recruiting police officers um, has been a challenge for many departments. But now to make the RCMP more attractive, those graduating from depot in Regina can request a posting to their home province. And he says that has led to an uptick in applications. We've seen an increase in experienced police officers come into the RCMP. And uh, we've also seen an increase of applicants because we removed that clause. RCMP vacancies in BC as of the 1st of July are at 8%, about 580 positions in all. 64 experienced officers have been hired since April, and there are 1,000 BC applicants somewhere in the process. One of our old saddles from the New School Ride. And of course, any interview with the RCMP commissioner would not be complete without asking about the policing transition in service. I haven't seen a transition plan. It doesn't mean at the divisional level they, they, they haven't seen it, but uh, I haven't seen a transition plan. So we asked the commanding officer of the BCRCMP if he's seen the transition plan. There's a plan to continue planning and, and to transition. Um, how that's done and the parties that are involved at the table, that's all being worked on as we speak. And the message the commissioner especially wants to get across? If people think that we, have, we don't change, like, we are changing. We are changing for the better. We're learning from the past and paving a way for a better future. Janet Brown, Global News.
Just ahead, an Iranian woman wins the Nobel Peace Prize fighting against the oppression of women, while another tragic victim of that country's morality police fights for her life in hospital. That's next. Traffic is steady in both directions here tonight at the Patello Bridge, but don't forget there is construction happening at both ends of the bridge deck. Select, nope, sorry. Kermac <laughs> Collision and Autoglass's newest location in Vancouver on Southwest Marine Drive, conveniently located between Canby and Oak. Kermac, the most trusted name in closure repair for 50 years. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. Sun, Sendegi, Azadi. Women, life, freedom. Imprisoned Iranian activist Nargis Mohammadi has been named the winner of this year's Nobel Peace Prize for her fight against the oppression of women in Iran. Her win comes a year after 22-year-old Masa Amini died while in the custody of the morality police, sparking the woman life freedom movement. And the news of the Nobel Prize comes as women continue to pay a huge price for not following the rules in that country. Tonight, details of yet another attack on a woman who refused to wear a hijab, a story being carefully watched by Iranian women here in Vancouver. Negar Moshtehedi has the story. Armita Gerovand, possibly the next Maso Amini, another young Iranian, left in a coma by the so-called morality police. For this Iranian woman living in exile, it's another painful reminder of being female in Iran. Why? She wasn't hit by a car. She didn't get a heart attack. She was attacked by a morality police just because she didn't want to wear hijab. That's it. CCTV footage shows Gerovan and her friends enter a Tehran metro none wearing the mandatory hijab. Seconds later, she is being carried out by her friends, seemingly unconscious. Officials say she fainted and hit her head because of low blood pressure. But big gaps in the timestamp indicate it's highly edited. What was all this violent treatment for, just for showing a few strands of hair? International human rights lawyer Gisu Nia spearheading having gender apartheid codified as a crime against humanity, an attempt to stop the regime's apartheid against women, supported internationally by Hillary Clinton, Malala Yousafzai, and Nobel Peace Prize winner Nagis Mohammadi. Anytime there's sensitivity around a story, the family members of that individual will be heavily pressured to not say anything. Human rights agencies report Armita Gerovan's mother and the journalists who started asking questions both detained and later released. This is a very common thing. Mira Nasiri says this could have been her fate as well. She was a blogger in Iran exposing confidential Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps letters. She wrote under a pseudonym, but when her cover was blown, the Iranian regime targeted her. She fled to Vancouver. They didn't care about my knowledge. They didn't care about how hard I was studying to learn something for my future. All they cared about is my hijab. She says if the world doesn't stand up to Iran, there will be many more army Tegerovans and Maso Aminis. Freedom takes blood. Negar Moshehedi, 
Global News. Just ahead, examining the magical qualities of the humble mushroom. Nature will always look after itself if you give it the opportunity. How fungi might be the key to cleaning up potentially toxic rail beds. Good evening from the south end of the Massey Tunnel, where northbound traffic is incredibly slow on the approach. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert care for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. Kermac is celebrating auto glass services. Choose the best. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. The humble mushroom is getting more attention these days, and not just as a menu option, from amateur foragers to artists. To environmentalists and citizen scientists, mushrooms are having a moment. Sophie Louie has been exploring our fungi future for the new reality. Sophie. Well, Chris, we all know about edible mushrooms, of course, and some people might even be familiar with the magical effects of psilocybin. But in northern BC, an experiment is underway to find out whether mushrooms have a different kind of magical power, the ability to clean up toxic waste. The Skeena watershed is home to a vast ecosystem of animal and plant life, and at the heart of it are salmon. The Skeena is BC's second largest salmon watershed, and it's just over 54,000 square kilometers, which is bigger than Switzerland. First Nations are the caretakers of this land, a role they cherish and take very seriously. We don't have major development on our rivers. It is pristine. We can drink out of our rivers, out of our creeks, out of our lakes, and we've ensured that. But alongside the Skeena River runs the CN rail line with kilometer after kilometer of creosote-soaked rail ties. The chemical used to preserve the wood has potentially toxic consequences for salmon habitat. Our rivers are lined with this toxic substance and piled up where snow accumulates and then melts every spring and washes more and more away of that toxicity into the soil, into the rivers, into the water system. So we wanted to figure out a way to, to deal with that. It's been a source of frustration for years, but it turns out the answer might be right at their fingertips, or more accurately, at their footsteps. Mycelium, the roots of the mushroom, can be trained to eat certain types of wood. The Skeena Watershed Society teamed up with local mushroom farmers to test their theory. Oh, wow. You have a bit of railroad tie and then we'll take little pieces off it and then put it on the petri dish, put the mycelium culture on it, and uh, just like this. We found that there was five different species uh, that were able to sequester not only the creosote, but other toxic byproducts used in these railway ties. It works in the petri dish, but what about these piles? That requires buy-in from CN, who declined our request for comment. And the frustrating part is, we shouldn't have to depend on a non-profit small organization in Northwestern, in Hazleton, to have to do this work, but this is our home. The locals aren't giving up hope, though. Convinced fungi could be one of the keys to a cleaner future. We always knew that nature will always look after itself if you give it the opportunity. Here's a great opportunity. You gotta remember that this planet does not need man. This man sure needs this planet. Mycoremediation is just one of the many new ways mushrooms are being used. This week on The New Reality, we'll tell you why some people believe our future is tied to fungi. 
from the mycelium in the ground to the mushrooms on our plates. We'll show you what we found on a foraging trip near Whistler and we'll even play you some mushroom music. That's tomorrow on the new reality at 7 p.m. right after the news hour. Chris? Looks great. Can't wait. Thanks, Soph. Well, B.C. has among the lowest smoking rates in the country, but that's not stopping the province from exploring a complete ban on cigarettes. As Richard Zussman reports, they're looking into what the United Kingdom and New Zealand are already doing. The eyes are 76, the nose... Butting in to get smokers to butt out. There is no good reason to allow a product to be sold that kills half the people that use it. The United Kingdom joining New Zealand to increase the legal age of tobacco purchased by one year every year, ensuring young people can never legally buy cigarettes. It's an idea being closely watched here. I'm very interested in what they're doing in New Zealand and the United Kingdom. But, you know, to a degree, that's what we're doing here in B.C. And the reason, it, one of the reasons it changed in B.C. was the involvement in youth in designing youth anti-smoking programs. British Columbia currently has the lowest smoking rates in Canada, dropping from 10.2% in 2019 to 7.7% in 2020. But even so, studies show it has a giant impact on the healthcare system and beyond. In British Columbia each year, it's about $700 million in terms of direct healthcare costs, much more if you include the total economic costs in terms of lost productivity, increased uh, worker absenteeism, uh, forest fires uh, caused by smoking. British Columbia is the only jurisdiction in Canada where tobacco products can legally be purchased at pharmacies. And there's no province-wide ban of smoking on patios at bars and restaurants, although municipalities like here in Victoria and across Metro Vancouver have banned it themselves. In general, uh, with respect to tobacco, we have not seen any new measures in terms of regulation in BC in about 15 years. That's way too long. Currently, you must be 19 to legally buy cigarettes in B.C. In P.I., it's the highest at 21. It's a mixed reaction to whether people believe there should be a full-out ban. I don't think it will solve the problem. I think people are going to smoke anyways. Wow, I can make a lot of enemies with that one. <laughs> um, I do. Provinces could decide to increase the legal cigarette purchase age each alone, but a policy switch of this magnitude likely would come at the federal level. Where it hasn't been assessed yet, if this idea is a breath of fresh air, or will go up in smoke. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Coming up, a big honour for the founder of Orange Shirt Day. It is with great pleasure to be among the graduates today. How Phyllis Webstad feels about her new honorary degree. And what would you do with more than a billion dollars? Canadians run for the border to buy those Powerball tickets. The founder of Orange Shirt Day has been honored with a degree from Simon Fraser University. Phyllis Webstad received an honorary Doctor of Laws degree from SFU and joined hundreds of students on stage during convocation. Kylie Stanton reports. Dr. Joey Lamb. Every name read out marks the beginning of a new chapter. Dr. Vanessa Shum. Years of hard work and dedication finally paying off. I hereby admit you to your various and several degrees. Congratulations. 
As a child, this is what Phyllis Webstad imagined going to school would look like. But that chapter of her story, and so many others, can only be described as tragic and dark. When I was just six years old, I attended the St. Joseph Mission Indian Residential School near Williams Lake, BC. Webstad arrived on her first day wearing a shiny orange shirt her grandmother had purchased for her, but it was quickly taken away, never to be returned. That cruel action resulted in my feeling unimportant as if I did not matter. Decades later, when she shared that experience with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, it struck a chord. The orange shirt, now a symbol of the effects of residential schools, and wearing one on September 30th each year, an act of solidarity. The Indian residential school system is not only Indigenous history, it is Canadian history. This year, on the 10th anniversary of Orange Shirt Day, the country observed its third national day for truth and reconciliation. A call to action for the gut-wrenching pain caused by residential schools spanning generations. But also a chance to recognize the woman who started it all. I hereby admit you to the degree of Doctor of Laws. Writing a new chapter in her story. Congratulations. It's just amazing and I'm just so honoured to be honoured for the work that I do to bring education and awareness across Canada. Holly Stanton, Global News. Congratulations, Phyllis, and thank you. All right, uh, let's check the weather as we head into this fabulous long weekend and find out what's coming after that. Well, I thought I would start off with the sunset shot. This is absolutely stunning. It's that time of year where just during the news hour we get these beautiful shots. So I'll just step out of the way so you can have a quick look at it. We got a lot of photos today, though, and I'm going to start off with this one from Qualicum Beach from Donna. Thank you so much. It is a fog bow. It's very similar in terms of how it's produced as a rainbow. It's basically the sun's light that's going through instead of droplets of water from the rainbow. It goes through this uh, water vapor. And water vapor droplets or water vapor is much smaller than water droplets. And so the um, action that happens when the light goes through it is a little bit different. It actually refracts and it doesn't create any light. So that's why fog bows are typically white, called white bows as well. And we've got another one shot from Qualicum Beach from Julie from that, from that and one more from the South Surrey area, the Hazelmere Pumpkin Patch. All right, so thank you so much. We've got a ridge of high pressure, two days of sunshine before we start to see breakdown on Sunday. Uh, for the coastal region, that does mean rain on our Thanksgiving Monday, but for inland regions, it just means cloud cover. The rainfall for you will happen more so on Tuesday. Enjoy the next two days. It's going to feel like summer. We need more rain. We know that we've had a, a, a drop in our uh, drought, but we still need more of that. So there you go. Thanksgiving Monday, a little wet and windy, and tonight's central windows weather window is yet again another fog bow. This one from Savory Island. And Chris, those were all from just this morning. So be on the lookout for it tomorrow morning or these tomorrow morning because we'll see fog again. It's a neat phenomenon and great pictures of it. Thanks very much for sharing those, Christy. All right, could be a very special weekend for one Powerball ticket holder. Got this Powerball winning ticket right here. The jackpot for Saturday night's draw has soared to an estimated 
$1.4 billion with a B dollars, the third largest in the game's history. If one ticket matches all six numbers, the winner would have a choice between the $1.4 billion paid out over several years or a one-time lump sum of approximately $644 million U.S. dollars. The odds of winning are about 1 in 292 million. High Powerball jackpots are becoming more and more common because more people are playing the game. Billion may be the new million. It's not that uncommon now. We are seeing more consecutive draws in a row to get to that billion. Canadians can test their luck too. You don't have to be a U.S. citizen or even a resident to buy a ticket. There are a number of ways you can do it, but the simplest is traveling across the border and buying one yourself. But re be ready for that big tax bill at the end of it if you do win. you got enough money, you probably won't care. Here's Squire with a look ahead to sports. The BC Lions have a big game tonight, and right across the street, some Canuck players will get a final chance to impress Rick Tockett, like Nils Hoaglander, but he's got work to do on that front. What I've been told and stuff like he's a really like a buzzsaw out there and we need him to play that way and I've seen some of it but not enough. So it's looking iffy if he'll start the season in Vancouver despite beginning camp alongside Elias Patterson and Andre Kuzmenko. All right look forward to that also tonight satellite debris stick around. Squires here. It's a big night for sports fans. Oh, yes. Right downtown. It'll be busy. The BC Lions and Winnipeg Blue Bombers are as closely matched as it gets going into this first-place showdown at BC Place. They're identical. They're like Henrik and Daniel. They each have the same record, 11-4. and four. Whoever wins this game wakes up tomorrow first in the West. But in the two games they've played against each other this year, the games haven't been close at all. BC beat Winnipeg 30-6. to six. The Bombers destroyed the Lions 50 to 14. If they were fighters, they'd each have a knockout. But neither team expects anything less than a close game tonight. In fact, the Lions are only two point favorites. Yeah, I mean, they were two very different games the first times we played them. I don't know if those games have very much relevance other than you understand what those guys are capable of. You know, you see them up close and see how they play. And so I think that has relevance. But I think the scores of those first two games uh, aren't going to factor into what happens on Friday night. They know how important this game is to them as well. You know what I'm saying? They're, they got all their players healthy as well, most of them. So, you know, we just we got to bring our A-plus game. So, and that's that. And while the Lions play their most meaningful game so far this year, right across the street, the Canucks are playing their last meaningless game against Calgary. It'll finish the preseason. It will decide a few jobs and get new Canucks like Ian Cole ready for his first year in Vancouver. And he's hanging out with Barry right now at Rogers Arena. All right, Ian, uh, you're a veteran of this league. I think 13 full NHL seasons. Usually when I ask vets what's the best thing about preseason and training camp, they say when it's over. How do you feel about that? Uh, probably not inaccurate. Um, that being said, I think where we are as a team, um, you know, obviously kind of a, a new coaching staff, kind of carrying over from last year, um, you know, some, some turnover on some players, um, a lot of things that we want to accomplish this training camp too. So um, I don't think that we're in a position as a team where we're, hey, we're just trying to get through this as best we can. Uh, let's just wait till it's done and then we'll figure it out. How hard is it to gauge where everyone is with, I mean, defensive zone coverage has been a key topic. Uh, if anyone's watched you guys practice or through pregames, is it difficult when you haven't really had your true roster to know where you're at with that? Or how do you feel you guys are doing with that? 
Well, yeah, I mean, short answer, yes, but I think that, you know, training camp's also trying to get guys in situations where they wouldn't be in with partners they wouldn't be in. Uh, we want to see what we have in terms of our whole roster, you know, what, 23 guys plus, you know, 10 or whatever. Um, and uh, you know, we want to make sure guys get games and get playing time uh, at the same time. Yeah, I mean, short answer, yeah. When we get uh, get everyone together, it's going to be easier. And it'll be a work in progress, right? We're not going to be like, okay, training camp's done. We are perfect for the rest of the season, right? I mean, you know how it goes. There's ebbs and flows to every year. There's going to be great stretches. There's going to be not so great stretches. We just want to continue to grow and mature through those through those ebbs and flows. Yeah, you're one of the new guys here. You've been around, though. You fresh eyes on this team. What what excites you the most about the this group? That, that you hope to see when they start playing for real here? I think a lot of mentality change has gone on in the past couple of years where guys that have been here have said, hey, listen, we're really sick of losing. This is not fun. This this kind of sucks. We need to fix this. Um, so I think there's there's a buy-in that, uh, that maybe we haven't seen before, and, and everyone's on board with uh, the team, the roster we have in here, the coaching staff, uh, to, to try to figure this thing out and figure it out quick. You know, we want to come out the gates running here and, and make sure, uh, like I said, we get those foundational things in order. Uh, but also we'll, we'll continue to grow and hopefully get better as the season goes. All right, well, we can't wait for it all to start for real. Last preseason game tonight against the Flames at 7. Squire, back to you. Okay, so we were talking about Nils Hoaglander before the break. He's trying to make the team, obviously, but he's not going to play in the final preseason game tonight. This is what Rick Tockett said about Hoaglander earlier today. Still got to get him to understand his identity right now. Um, you know, maybe me putting him with PD early kind of made him play a little bit different. I thought he was getting a little fancy out there, but, you know, um, he'll play. Um, whether he play, he might play open. I'm not sure. I just think that, I think when he, you know, what I've been told and stuff, like he's a really like a buzzsaw out there and we need him to play that way. And I've seen some of it, but not enough consistency. Abbotsford's Chase Claypool has been traded by the Chicago Bears to the Miami Dolphins. That trade included a swap of seventh-round draft picks. Claypool wore out his welcome rather quickly in Chicago after being acquired halfway through last season from Pittsburgh. He wasn't on the Bears' roster in their last two games. He has the talent, but he also has a reputation for not having the right attitude. So consider Miami likely to be his last NFL chance. Interestingly enough, he'll play with another BC-born player with the Dolphins, defensive back Javon Holland, who is from Coquitlam. Maybe Javon can rein him in. Come on, Chase. Come on now. All right, thanks, Squire. We're back after this with Satellite Debris. We're going to kick off the Thanksgiving long weekend with Satellite Debris. And we will start off with uh, something from Geico and also an old favorite with the E-Trade baby who I'm sure is in his 20s now. Here we go. Aunque da tiempo en el reloj. Willing Hansa cerca, peligroso al área. Dispara. del delantero para abrir el marcador en el último minuto impresionante mientras los jugadores se sigan deslizando para celebrar tú puedes contar con Gaico para ahorrar dinero en 15 minutos podrías ahorrar 15% más en tu seguro de auto no solo para llevarse la copa sino para pasar I'm freaking out man why I thought Jill was your soulmate no no it's her dad the general is your soulmate if what no 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 he's, he's on my back about providing for his little girl E-Trade's got a totally new investing dashboard. Everything's on one page. Your investments, quotes, research. It's like the buffet last night. Whatever helps you understand, man. I'm watching you. Oh, yeah. 
I'm watching you watching him. Try the new 360 investing dashboard at E-Trade. Okay, this, uh, this next commercial is from Doritos. Now, I know that we've seen a lot of commercials with Vancouver in the background. I think you'll notice this one does too at the beginning. Here we go. Hmm. One bag of Doritos. There's going to be like five other guys in there. So? So now we're going to have to share. Tom told everyone to bring their own bag. Yeah, well, I drove you here, so really, this is kind of like my bag. Hey! D doesn't have a bag. <laughs> Allergies, man. Oh, gross. I don't, well, I, I don't know. I know people were eating at that time, but it's like, listen, if you, gotta, if you don't want anybody to dig into your Doritos, now you know how. Yeah. Deploy. Right. I saw a Vancouver special house. Those were Vancouver specials. You can see the mountains in the background. Have you noticed that there yeah. seems to be a lot of car commercials done in Vancouver? We're always driving over yeah. the, uh, the, the bridges. The beautiful bridges. Okay, so this one is um, from Tango. It has nothing to do with the dance, Hi. it has everything to do with the drink, Tango. All right, Randy. All right, Glenn. Two hitted pigs and a four leaf clover, right? Yes, please. I'm feeling lucky today. Tango with orange intensity. I don't know why I like that one. I just like that one. Yes. Because you, you never know. You could just turn into a bodybuilder at, the lab, at any point. Of all the things I'm thankful for. I was, expecting, for. The, yeah, I was expecting the older lady to start to turn into a bodybuilder. That would have been a good ending, actually. I thought she was going to flex, too. I don't know <laughs> yeah. what I, They missed an opportunity yeah. there, yeah, didn't they? They did. Very thankful yeah. for Satellite Debris and for you guys. Hope you have a great Thanksgiving and same to everybody watching. Mm -hmm. Really appreciate it. Have a great long weekend, everybody, and we'll see you again next week.